Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings and welcome to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle of people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I am talking, I'm talking too fast. I'm going to back off a little bit. I'm delighted to be with you. I do various things at Freethink and baby today I'm going to do various things to you and joining me doing various things to you, which makes this a very... Very what sticky, crowded situation, what? baby. Also very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Moynihan of Vice News, he's going to do things to you, baby. Yeah. Matt Welch of Reason Magazine, he is also going to do mm. things to you, baby. And guess what? He is at large. Editing at large. At large. Yeah. It's getting very sexy in here, and we just got started. Well, so it's funny. I didn't even think of this, but I, I just that just reminded me of something. Mm. Uh, I want to apologize. To the fifth column listener, I didn't get his name. I was at a party on Wednesday, and he came by me, and he turned, and he said, yo, love the fifth column place. I was like, yep, thanks, man. And then I just turned back, like, really fast. And I just wanted to explain why. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm super nice, usually. Um, I was talking to Miss Universe, <laughs> um, who, I don't know if you know... She's literally the hottest person in the universe. <laughs> and at one point I did say to her, yeah. if I was on Mars, I would not find anyone hotter than you. <laughs> and she said, no, I don't think so. Uh, which is true. She said that. Um, <laughs> where, where is she from? Colombia. Ah, yeah. Yes. She's now my friend. Now your friend. Yes. She's my friend. <laughs> um, okay. Are you still in the phase of this where you have to be a gentleman or can you tell the truth? You shot your shot. Did you score? She's Miss Universe. Do you think I have any truth to tell? She's the husband of the universe. She doesn't need me. Is she, is she yeah. tall enough to be your friend? Oh, is she ever? <laughs> <laughs> when I saw her, I put on a pair of roller skates and went to the other side of the room. I was like, what's oh. up, baby? Oh, you from Colombia? Let me talk about the fuck. And she was like, what? The fuck? <laughs> she was crazy. She loved it. So... Good, it was a good night. I don't, I don't know, Moynihan. I, yeah. I don't want to say too much because this was told to me in confidence, yeah. but I have a, yeah. I have a, a buddy uh-huh. who was a very trustworthy buddy, and he was okay. conferring a story to me about a huge R&B songstress, a very attractive young lady, and he was explaining about going out with a friend and how his friend met her and how they like ended up hooking up like a very normal he's a normal guy yeah. a normal background and it ended up working out in his favor because you know what she's she's a lady yeah yeah she's a lady yeah. i mean she likes guys <laughs> but here here's the guys thing. guys who like girls here's the thing i'll just, I'll just put it this way um there's there's <laughs> it could happen no, is what I'm yeah, saying. Does, it could happen it, here it, yeah it could it, it could, could happen, happen here. here yeah just as fascism is coming to america we're all we're all Miss Universe now. Uh, no, you might get it. The thing is, <laughs> Just as as it you have to America. you have to realize that this was in a room in which you uh-huh. know uh, the one eye was king. Just put it that way, because it most certainly was the uh-huh. land of the blind. Uh, um, so, so just an interaction, a normal interaction, was hard to come by. This was the NFT conference then. Yes, it was. Yeah. In fact, um, I will say this: I can't, I can't let on too much because we're doing an, uh, an episode of this. So when Matt does his Friday links over at Patreon. There's nothing for me to add to it because we're we're shooting a whole series now. But um, uh, so the, the one thing I will say: at the end of the night, I was talking to a very, very nice Indian gentleman from Chennai, 
And because of the situation in the world right now, I cannot do an impression of how he sounded to me because that's just wrong. But I could do it very well if anybody wants to buy my NFT of my doing an impression of him. Did you so, do it to him is my question. Um, yeah, he didn't notice. He was like, that's how yeah. people talk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this man... Um, who shall remain nameless, but I don't know if he is actually nameless. You might be able to figure this out. He um, and I were talking about how he spent $69 million on a JPEG. So uh, it was the man who bought the Beeple uh, NFT, which is, as an art critic from Artnet told me, one of the most consequential, if not the most consequential, art purchase in history, perhaps, is, is what he said. But uh, it's one of the biggest for sure. So yeah, uh, the man who bought the JPEG. So my opening gambit and, and questioning, I don't know if this will make it into peace, so maybe I'll just, this will give a little preview, so maybe you'll watch the show. Um, I said, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was it's like, just, it's a gym. seriously? And it's then, like a, that's a top five Moynihan Vice trick. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this, it's usually like, because people are psychos, but this guy was just yeah. like the nicest man I've ever met. Super nice. Yeah. And, you know, he bought, there was an auction and he bought one of these NF, Pepe NFTs uh while we were at the there and he spent a half a million dollars on it just you know standing there um putting his paddle up for a half a million dollars and um it was a really really fascinating conversation so i i, I didn't quite understand what the hell was going on before i understand him a little more now and just a really lovely guy and you know it's not normal in the old art world which is so so many gatekeepers and so many gates to get through that you just kind of happen to run into the guy who bought Beeple, uh, which, you know, I mean, $69 million for a JPEG, which is crazy. How much do you figure like a uh, pixelated version of Camille's balls are going to go for <laughs> when, uh, when we get into well, the NFT? Well, it's here. also the, it's a, the, it's the appropriate number, but this one would be 69 cents or 69 yes. Shiba Inu, <laughs> which I think is less than one cent. Which you, you actually mean 69 Ethereum. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Actually 69 yes. Ethereum. Yeah. And yeah, I'd say that that's a better fair. Price. There was a lot of uh, yeah. if I have to put. Yeah, it all wrong. the uh, people were. I mean, it's so hard during this auction. I kept turning to people and I was like, "Is this USD or ETH?" Because you know, one is okay. That seems about right. Another one is like, "Holy shit!" Because you know they're bidding up things like a hundred, uh, two hundred, and I'm like, "Oh, that's four thousand six hundred dollars per Ethereum." So, wow, these are going for a lot of money. But then I went, to, I went downtown, too, to a gallery that was doing a um, rare Pepe uh, exhibit. And one of the most interesting things about it was these things are on the wall. There's paintings. There's cards, like little like, kind of trading card kind of things. And the guy said to me, these are totally worthless. It, it, they're, they're representations of the NFT, but they mean nothing. Nobody wants them. They're sort of the receipt, if anything. But they mean they are worth nothing if you try to sell them, but the NFT is worth everything. So it's actually like a huge oil painting, which is as he said, worth absolutely nothing, where the NFT is, you know, I think it's sold for a lot of money. It's probably worth $20,000 or something. So a very, very strange world, but I am really digging this uh, this episode. So I hope uh, I hope uh, we'll get it out soon and you guys can all see it. Well, hopefully someone someone will finally come to understand uh, non-fungible tokens and cryptocurrency who, who couldn't see the light before. Yeah, but I sent I you down a rabbit hole, didn't briefly. I? Yeah, no, we talked briefly about this earlier in the week. I'm I'm someone who is who's interested in the space, who generally believes in crypto, thinks that it's, yeah. it's a good thing. 
but I've also been watching this non-fungible token thing and all of these high-priced images that I can copy for free and thinking to myself, this seems completely ridiculous. Yeah. And I don't understand why anybody would value this. Yeah. Like, yeah. I understand scarcity in atoms. I don't get the phony scarcity in bits. But at the same time, I think I, I have come around in some important respects. And even while there may be some some froth in the space at the For moment, sure. the durability of the space has everything to do yeah. with the tangible value that exists in the crypto universe. There are whole institutions that exist. All of these credible legacy institutions are getting into these spaces now. There is no universe where Bitcoin goes to zero no. and there isn't some sort of major crisis that affects your life, whatever you do. It's a good, it's a good point, too, because we're, we're at a point that we're beyond the those moments when, like, Jamie Dimon and, you know, whatever head of the Fed at uh -huh. the time would say... It's 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 you know hokum and nonsense and it's going away. Yeah, and yeah. now we have like Ethereum ETFs being launched and Bitcoin ETFs and you know people are taking it seriously. And the, now we're in the stage of like how do we regulate it um, and what should be regulated? Uh, you know New York is right. uh, New York is very difficult to buy anything because it's so heavily regulated here um, already. You have to have a Bit license, so you can't even buy Binance, one of the biggest. Um, exchanges you can't use in New York City um, or in New York Did State. Did you see, so. I presume, Moynihan, you saw Eric Adams, the new uh, mayor of oh, Latin, yeah. Yeah. saying that he wants, who's yeah. actually, ever since he won election, including his election night speech, has been pretty great. He's a, he's a crazy person. Oh, right? he's an he's insane a, person. He's probably going to be indicted, person, too, but he's insane. Who's <laughs> going to be indicted. Obviously, lives in New Jersey. <laughs> this is so racist. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. This is the most racist The person who told me that is recorded. listening, and I, and I did some research, and I think he's going to be indicted. <laughs> he's the boss of his girlfriend who lives in New Jersey. Well, there be a video of him in a hotel. Yeah. They, the bitch set me up. But he uh, he said, uh, I think it was today, that he wants to get his first three paychecks in Bitcoin. Yeah. He's the Marion Barry of crypto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Man for life. Bit set yeah, me up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> His motherfucking Shiba Inu. Worth nothing. <laughs> Did I ever tell you guys the story of how Marion Barry's uh, son like, tried to press up on my wife in my presence? Wait, seriously, his son? Marion Barry was there, too. We're going to need to hear that. Yeah, that's another day. Well, you know, yeah. that's funny because because my ex, he tried to, to do that to her. I think I told that story yeah. at a book party. The son? I think the no, son the, the mayor. The mayor. Uh, we, yeah. I, you know, I get a little higher class. Marion Barry, he he was about shooting his oh, shot. Oh, he didn't care. He didn't oh, yeah, that. he loved it. Whatever, however you feel didn't, about the man. He's the best. And his legacy. The truth is that you miss 100,000% of the shots that you don't take. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't Michael Jordan that said that. It was Marion Barry that said that. <laughs> That's right. It's true. He's like, I'm not Michael Jordan anymore. stole that yeah, from Yeah, totally. Him. <laughs> he said, I'm sorry, Matt. Motherfucker set him you. up. Uh, <laughs> only that, and it's not funny or, or that interesting, but the, that the, uh, the Bitcoin, some of the Bitcoin bros who I follow on uh, Twitter just pointed out, like, because um, uh, uh, Eric Adams also said he wants to make New York a capital or a center of, uh, of of currencies. He's like, you know, this with the regulations that you have in place, that is absolutely impossible. No yeah. one's no one's yeah. ever going to do that in New York. Yeah, yeah. But you know, at least uh, the aspiration is there. And Adams again on his yeah, someone someone is writing tweets for him about this. Yeah, yeah. It's nice. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Crypto <laughs> nerd is. Yeah. But here's the thing: at the end of this episode, I'm going to mint. Um, 
some NFTs, uh, an edition of NFTs. Um, and I've spoke to artists. I've sat down with a lot of people about this, and it's been really interesting. And this company that does it, which is like one of the biggest ones, a really well-known company, has um, they kind of agreed to to one of the guys was a, a fifth column listener, and agreed to like do it with me. Um, you know, it's hard to shoot this. I don't know if it's going to actually make sense because it's just like sitting in front of a computer kind of thing. But um, I think I'm going to do, uh, do do a fifth column series of, of NFTs. So oh, well. Um, Craig Mahoney, a faithful listener and Patreon subscriber, which is your uh, reminder to go subscribe to us on Patreon, although you can get some content on that uh, page for free if you're not a subscriber, but not the really good stuff. Uh, But anyways, Craig Craig is the guy who made uh, this amazing Melania artwork that sits in the studio uh, in New York. And uh, and he's and he said that he's making a uh, uh, I mean, it's a it's a stunning thing to see in person. It really is. I don't uh, have the fungible token. I don't know. I don't the non fungible token is different. In Slovakia, we have only fungible. Slovakia now. Wherever the hell, yeah. Uh, he said he's made one or is going to make one. So, yeah, we'll we'll find a way. We to... should start our, our, a whole NFT exchange that is the fifth column exchange. We should just start the whole exchange. Fifth token? Yeah, everything I said earlier about it not being a grift and something oh, no, I could be a total in, grift. In the last 35 seconds, my whole oh, yeah. perspective on this has yeah. changed. I, you know yeah. what? So, I'm seriously, <laughs> when I get that developer in here, we're going to be a shameless cash grab. Oh, totally. I'm going to be like, okay, <laughs> we finished with that one. Now, fifth coin. What's that thing they do with the dog? Can we use a beagle <laughs> instead? That's what we do. We just use a beagle. Tyson <laughs> coin. Ooh, it's going to be good. A beagle. <laughs> to the moon, to the moon, we going. Diamond hands. <laughs> oh man! So the hey, fifth, the, money. the fifth merchandise you're getting is actually fucking NFTs. <laughs> Shit that I find on my. I should just make everything that's on my desktop into an NFT. Because it's like, it's a lot just, of weird shit. It's going to be a lot of tall <laughs> Colombians. Just write the word NFT on a paper and mail it well, to if you. I should do, I, I should make an NFT of every, this would actually be a funny series. I could do a series of 500 of them. And uh, every one is a different screenshot that I've taken to send to you guys. Because I have all of them. And some of them are hilarious and crazy. Oh, my God. It's always like I screenshot things like, look at these crazy motherfuckers and send it to you guys. And about 1% of those get discussed on the fifth column because the other 99% would get us canceled. So, <laughs> so there's the NFT. I'm trying to even think like if you made a, uh, a printout, a CVS-like receipt yeah. of our text, text strings, um, like how many inches maximum could it go without being career-ruining? Like hmm. four? It could uh, go. It could eight, go. See, yeah, maybe the 12. problem with that is you're inv- no. Matt. You're so bad at technology. You're inviting yeah, people so to hack you. Yeah, so. yeah, it's true. He's constantly doing this. <laughs> but I mean, what we definitely don't do is have these exchanges over iMessage. It's something heavily yeah, encrypted, yeah. Yeah. A super We're, app that you've never heard of. Yeah, they, they so just tell me don't bother hacking it's a fork of Matt's Wicker. iMessage, uh, we made. which definitely doesn't have two-step verification. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> I actually send Matt uh, letters because it's just like I put yeah. them in a post. It's like it's the same way with him. Since him the we actually all have, we all have the password to his Apple um, iMessage account. We check. Matt, of course you got the text. I'm yeah. looking at it. Just yeah. into your account. Um, but in addition to you going to go do NFT stuff, um, I, I just spent a couple of days with a bunch of interesting people at some secret cabal it just means it's it's a regular week. What do you you call these secret things? Those are the kind of spaces I fly in. It is what it is. 
I'm not going to pretend I'm not advocating for their interests. What is it? Why do they want you? <laughs> you don't own a space company. This is what true. Do I yeah. don't. I Black don't. origin. Maybe a little. Maybe a small share. <laughs> Maybe a small share. But not enough to be a substantial investor. That, that cop um, spaceship is a little bit larger, I think. Yeah. Than, uh... The great thing about Camille's stories about this is he always tells you he's with, I'm with all these billionaires, and then he can't tell you because yeah. it's secret. So he just it's always like, yeah. well, what happened? It's like, yeah, I can't tell you. I don't kiss and yeah. tell. I don't yeah. kiss and tell. I'm not like yeah. you. Oh, I do. Um, <laughs> but there's but there's other stuff going on that we should talk about, like this huge election that took place on Tuesday what? of this week. I didn't hear about that. Which I'm told the, the remarkable victory that has been won is either completely the fault of Chris Rufo <laughs> or Donald Trump, or the loss itself is totally the fault of Democrats yeah. not being willing to invite AOC into Virginia to ensure that they win. Did, did you see the New York Times, the unsigned editorial, where they were like, the opposite of AOC? It's like, we're, we're getting a little too progressive here. <laughs> it was like, somebody tweeted, it's like, was the New York Times red-pilled? And it was like, I don't know. I think we've done, I think we're going in the wrong direction. There was a moment on uh, CNN at like one o'clock in the morning on election night, and everyone uh -huh. had already said their crazy stuff for several hours. Um, oh, there's so much crazy so much shit. We have to talk about Thank that. God I there was a, still a World Series game being played, so I, I skipped most of the crazy shit. But then at the very end, I was doing mop-up work with CNN, and uh, <laughs> and you could tell that like Jake Tapper had a bit of a moment of clarity. And then one by one, the various people on the CNN panel, including Van Jones, who earlier in the night was insane. Um, earlier in the night, when he talked about the Delta variant of Trumpism. Is what was Glenn Youngkin. He, 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 he said Youngkin was the Delta variant. I was yes. like, really? Yes. Man. What are you talking about, Van yeah. Jones? The you mean like overhyped over and not deadly at all? <laughs> <laughs> the least Trumpy Republican running in that Republican yeah. primary with a lieutenant governor who did an interview with Reason, which I only discovered after the election. Yeah. In 2018, mm -hmm. what's her name? Winsome, yeah. uh, whatever. Yeah. Jamaican. Um, who, who's Jamaican. She's Jamaican. Yeah. Who's like packing, a bad gal that. packing heat. What? And, You're crazy boy. And, and in her. You talking about Welsh. And in her. <laughs> in her recent interview, she was all. Young gun. <laughs> She was uh, criticizing what uh, Virginia Republicans were doing in 2018. They had that uh, crazy person, uh, what's it, Corey Stewart or something, uh, who won the primary mm -hmm. there to, to run. And he was so Trumpy and awful. And she's like, we can't. This is a dead end. We shouldn't go in the Trump direction. This is wrong. Um, like, very lucid. Uh, so anyways, uh, uh, Tapper. Did you realize that all the pictures of her. Are her in like a business suit holding an AR-15? Yeah, <laughs> that's how you it. make it work. I love it. We, we on, can't go to that direction. I'm going to show you the direction we are going to go in. I mean, it's I it's it's completely unserious, but I love it. I mean, I love the it. thing that's lacking. I want my politics because it's Virginia. Is that she doesn't have like the rolled up like uh, uh, cigarettes in her uh, in her shirt sleeve? Because they... she's not in a bikini. No. Which, which I mean, yeah. it just makes sense. I think you should just have the courage of your convictions. Put on swimwear if you're going to take a picture exactly. with a gun. Why? That is true for what women and men. Yeah. I don't care what gender. I don't care if you're trans. It's it's fine. Yeah, we don't care. You should be in a bikini if you're going to, or at least bikini briefs is what I'm yeah. saying. I, I appreciate this. In fact, this. everyone should be topless. Those should be the rules. You have a gun, topless bikini shots of yourself. If you're going to use a gun in a political ad. By the way, I've, I've just seen your political consultancy fail in real time. 
<laughs> this is how you win an election. Excuse me? That's what they said to Donald Trump, okay? Yeah, exactly. That's what they said to Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, do you, but do you think, Camille, uh, surveying yeah. all these people as you do in the middle of your uh, various important uh, cabals, <laughs> do you think that they mean it? You know, Glenn Youngkin wins in Virginia. He was a nobody. He was kind of a Mitt Romney figure, younger type, who plugs into the education issue, being against CRT, against critical race theory, saying that we're not going to teach that here. But most importantly, Terry McAuliffe, who's a thousand-year-old uh, Clinton hack, who's the former Virginia governor, um, he's the last Clintonite, uh, basically, um, had said at a debate that— The only uh, one they haven't murdered— <laughs> when they haven't murdered, they're going to murder him now. Yet. He better Yet. Be, Yeah, that's right. He's going to commit <laughs> suicide in his this. cell any uh, minute now. <laughs> uh, he he says that his debate in the end of September, parents shouldn't have any say on on what they teach in schools. And this literally said that. Literally yeah, like said verbatim that. said they shouldn't. Parents and should what's not, awesome? Yeah. What's awesome is that in the Washington Post, like two weeks later, there's a couple of historians, I think it was, who wrote an op-ed saying, oh, yeah, that's right. Parents shouldn't have any role to teach. Yeah. Like, people doubled down on this shit. Like, that's <laughs> accurate. Yeah, I liked it back in the day when the historians were writing about history. But now they're all on the Washington Post writing about politics. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's what you said at the top, Camille, who's the person that's responsible for this day? It is so frustrating to watch cable news or to listen to podcasts or anything mm -hmm. because p people have a political worldview or they have an audience they have to have a monocausal you know reason for that yes are you kidding me yes. you know the education thing is about the crt stuff but it's also about kids not being in school it's also about lying about a sexual assault in the bathroom in loudon county not the trans thing mm -hmm. which seems from what i've read not to be the case um, but, uh, you know, people were trying to make it into that, but it appears not to be. But even that, I mean, all of that stuff, you know, together is one thing of many things that I think brought people to the polls and gave uh, Youngkin a, a, a resounding victory. But one of the things with the CRT stuff is if you look at his stance, it's pretty relaxed, actually. Right. And, you know, the piece that he wrote, I think it was, in, it was on Fox News or something, Fox News' website, and a speech that he gave, he did the thing, which you don't hear a lot of the other people do, which is the long throat clearing about America has a really bad past, too. And we have to address that. Yes. It's just yeah. that, you know, fill in the blank. And then, of course, everyone hops into this conversation and says, you know, this is not this is not really CRT. They're not, there's no Kimberly Crenshaw and Derek Bell. And it's like, what the f stop it. Stop it. I mean, that's not what anyone is really saying. But on the other end, it, 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 he didn't go hard in the paint like you see in Florida and some other places where this has come up. And so to make it all about this on the evidence just seems wrong. Which he did not do. I mean, it's so weird. There's this the collapsing everybody. I mean, there was the what was the Nicole Wallace on MSNBC, MSNBC. My God, they've had a week. Nicole Wallace is the worst. I'm sorry. I don't I mean, like to denounce weird, people here. A former, a former <laughs> Patreon. Joanne Reed is 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 elbow to elbow, and then uh, Rachel Maddow has her own problems. Matt Tybee had a great piece about her, uh, how she has not really conformed to reality in the face of actual legal denunciations of people who are propping up the Steele dossier crap. But table that for a moment. Uh, I, I believe it was Nicole Wallace who said or it was on her show, that the reason Youngkin won was because they were able to swing 15 percentage points of the electorate based on a conspiracy theory that doesn't exist. It's crazy. And there's so many follow-up questions with that. Yeah. Uh, one is, how fucking dumb do you think Virginians are? And also, how fucking racist do you think 
the people who voted for Joe Biden by 10 percentage points and Hillary Clinton by five percentage points and Barack Obama by six and four percentage points. How fucking racist are those people? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're did she say racist. this on Tuesday? She said this on Tuesday night. Yes. Matt? Tuesday night. She said that it was a I mean, they're, they're operating with no evidence. They just don't care at all. Mm-hmm. There's no Correct. evidentiary standard. You just get to make shit up. It's palliative journalism. It's mm-hmm. it's a journalism to make you feel better about your team lost. And what is hilarious is that Nicole Wallace, who used to be on John McCain's team, and I don't say that to slur John McCain, the McCain people hate her guts. Um, I say that to slur <laughs> the Lincoln Project, who deserve to be slurred and laughed at and basted in hot buttermilk fucking pancake batter and <laughs> clown noses and like feathers yeah. in their rectums fuck these even, idiots i don't even know what, what that is what are they even talking about is that uh, your they're... version of tarring and feathering uh buttermilk yeah, pancake more... <laughs> rectums what's right. well, some sure. syrup on there let's have fun it's, it's this america it's delicious it is, it is amazing mean, that there has to be a term and i invite listeners to come up with the term remember rich hall the comedian used to have those the sniglets which are the oh. invented words, and they're terrible, right? I, but I yeah. need some version of this, because I need a word <laughs> for the people who are pretending to be an ideology that they once were, rather than doing a David Brock and saying, I'm a liberal now. It's yeah. like, you know, st- st- like I like Lincoln problem is like, you know, look at these Republicans. Like, if you think Youngkin is like a neo-fascist and you want him to lose to save the republic... I just don't think you're a Republican at this point. And Nicole Walls is the same way. I've, I haven't heard her say something even remotely Jen Rubin. Uh, conservative. Yeah, Jen Rubin. These people are like, why are you still identifying this way? I know it makes you a buck. And the whole game for all of these people is to make a buck. That's why they drift in the directions that they drift in. But the question that I ask them, just and look, I, you know, you can argue about degrees of this, you know, CRT stuff. And again, this is. Not a phrase that I don't think I would use unless it was introduced in the debate as it was. But, you know, I've said millions of times. We should talk about that next. Yeah, Yeah. like that what I saw in Florida was very dubious, the claims that anti-CRT people were making. But it exists, and I've seen examples of it. But it's amazing that these people that gaslight you and say, none of this stuff is real. When in the next sentence, some jackass pops up on the screen on MSNBC and calls everybody who disagrees with that person a white supremacist. (laughs) <laughs> so, wait, so you're using the language of the craziness, right? But then you're saying it doesn't exist. It's everywhere around you in this fucking studio, but somehow it's not in our schools in any way, especially in this day and age where you see these people on TikTok, because I always see them on TikTok, like te- young teachers on TikTok doing these 15-second uh, videos about, you know, whose land they're standing on or, you know, whose, whose phone. This is actually uh, Chief Seattle's phone. Um, if you go back far enough, <laughs> I think Camille has muted himself. He's just he's just snorting out like yeah. vape snot at this yeah. point. Thinking I, about I, it. I, I'm both laughing and sneezing at the same yeah, yeah. time, which is very dangerous and yeah. painful. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if that's ever happened to and, you. And <laughs> or you're, sexy. You're laughing to the point where snot yeah. is coming out, and then you're sneezing an actual sneeze. That's painful. Yeah. So I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do. Matt, if you can ask me a question, um, just ask me a random question about. Uh, what happened uh, in the election in Virginia? And I'm going to pretend to be a generic guest on one of these cable shows. So uh, what what does this say about the electorate in uh, 2021, uh, Michael, that you're seeing these people, yeah. uh, you know, excited to vote for a Republican Party that weren't before? Uh, 2021, Matt? Um, trying 1933. This is Nazi Germany. This is what I'm going to tell you right now. I don't speak German, but I heard Youngkin speaking German, and I think it was anti-Semitic, but I don't know what CRT means. It's not a real thing, but you know what is real? Nazism. 
and the Holocaust was real too. <laughs> I'm not a Holocaust liar. Yunkin is. He is. I'm not. So let's go to commercial now because I think I'm done. I think the Republic is done. It's over. So thank you very much. Oh my God! I was uh, I, just I, tonight. I want to play that montage. I want to play that montage of people from MSNBC yeah, do it, do talking it, do it. about the race. It's amazing. He did stoke white grievance politics to mobilize the Republican base. He's laundered Trump's really sort of disgusting, flagrant out-racism. Yep. He's wrapped it in education. Yep. Education, right. which is code for white parents don't like the idea of teaching right. about race. That's the fundamental problem for these parents and this anti-CRT movement. They don't like the way whiteness is being portrayed in these new, more inclusive lessons. Yeah. This wasn't about those pocketbook issues. This was about how white kids feel talking about what black kids go through. The subtext of all this was, we can't let these black and brown people run the country. Glenn Youngkin running on critical race theory that he knew hit a chord around race. I think all the CRT stuff is trumped up dog whistling. Some of it was uh, dog whistle racism. The dog whistle messaging that you saw Youngkin engage in during the course of the campaign. CRT is in the, the latest line of school busing, cross-town busing, uh, welfare queens. You have it. It's in, that same, it's in that same line, and you saw it in the, in the results in Virginia. This more palatable Republican who still uses the same racist themes that Trump did, he just packaged them in a soccer dad sweater vest model. He's found a way to launder a pretty racist trope, this idea that we cannot talk about America's history because it hurts my feelings. He's turned that into a campaign. White voters do have anxiety about a changing America, right? That it is blacker, it is browner. You've got the Republicans yelling like, hey, look, the black and brown folks are coming for us. Some Republican candidates are perfectly willing to use race as a motivating factor for their base. That has gone on for decades and it happened this year. Race is just the most palpable tool in the toolkit. It used to be of the Democratic Party back right. in the day when they were Dixiecrats and now of the Republican Party. This is about the fact that a good chunk of voters out there are okay with white supremacy. Let's call a thing a thing. Actually, scratch that. They are more than okay. This, this is so insane <laughs> on so many levels. Like, you, you could set aside the fact that, like, the lieutenant governor that they just elected is, like, a Jamaican yeah. lady. Like, yeah. She came here when she was a kid from yes. Jamaica. Almost certainly still had the accent. Yeah. Could still talk a little bit of bad patois. Could probably fry up some good um, dumpling and ackee and saltfish. Mm. This is the woman who just got elected, and they're telling us that this is an election that was was propelled by white supremacy on the basis of no fucking evidence whatsoever. In a state that they Joe Biden won by 650,000 points. It's totally crazy. <laughs> yeah. It makes no sense. And how can this not be about pocketbook issues? People are so over the Biden administration right now. Mm. Like inflation is a legitimate problem. The supply chain issues, people thought that the COVID shit was over and, and it seems to be dragging on forever. People are fucking frustrated. Yes. And this is precisely the sort of election where you might expect those things to have some consequence. They've lost ground with minority voters who are yes. supposed to be their bread and butter. The, the, there was fucking turnout. The, yeah. People were angry and upset about a range of issues. And these morons refused to see the, the, the specificity of some of those claims, the absurd specificity. I mean, you, the reason that John McWhorter's book was like, well, last one I looked last week 
had cracked the top 25 on Amazon. And the, top 10 and top, the NYC, yeah. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the reason that Glenn Lowry is on Bill Maher this evening and you were on Camille and John McWhorter was on, because people want to have these discussions now. And the reason is because they're exhausted. And the reason they're exhausted is this. If you were to say that this election hinged on one issue, and that issue was, I don't know, inflation, um, some sort of minor, what would appear to be a minor local state issue or something. Everybody who said that would feel it necessary to justify it because you're making an enormous claim. This is why it happened. Yeah. So therefore, here, here's the evidence that this is that these people going to exit polls, you know, sentiments that you're seeing out at rallies, et cetera. When somebody says something like, I don't, these are parents who don't want the black kid in the school to tell other kids how they feel. Try to quantify that. None of this, it, it, you, you can say this is the one issue. You can make the most outrageous claims with absolutely zero evidence and nobody stops and says, wait a second, what? Wait, 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 justify that, justify that, please. After four years of Donald Trump and you know, after the conversation that we've been having about this, people very easily slide into making this, having the exact same conversation about somebody who by all impressions that I have and other people have is, you know, fairly moderate as these things go. I mean, he's not quite Mitt Romney, but he's kind of more on that uh -huh. side than he is on the Donald Trump side. But imagine being able to string together a, you know, clip like that from one network in one night and nobody offering even the barest bit of evidence to suggest that any of that is actually true. It's absolutely maddening. In addition to listening to our last week's episode with Zed Jelani, who lives in Northern Virginia and teaches there and has some insight on that. And he's written pretty interestingly since the election, or at least on election night, with the idea that, that uh, the results were going to be what they were. But look at other people that you know who don't like Donald Trump, who live in Northern Virginia and pay attention to education. See what they're saying, as opposed to what an MSNBC host is saying, as opposed to what I am saying. I don't live in Virginia. Uh, anybody else, right? Um, it's amazing. There's Aaron Ross Powell, works for Cato, hates the Trump people, hates Trump, MAGA, nationalism, populism, and all that kind of stuff, has written extensively on Twitter and elsewhere of like, I don't know, man. North of Virginia, people are really pissed off about how, for example, the Fairfax School District, Fairfax, right? It's across the river. Fairfax School District in October 2020, when the rest mm. of the world was open, for the most part, in schools, for the good reason that we knew by then that schools were safe, even without vaccines. Fairfax, their teachers were saying, what we're going to do is we're not, we're, they're, of course, closed, but we're going to stay closed until we have a vaccine, which at that time there wasn't any expectation that that was coming yeah. anytime soon. They wanted to close it forever. Wherever teachers unions had enough power to say we want to close it forever, the shit was closed forever. This happened in New Jersey, too. People were talking about in my proximity that, uh, hey, maybe education wasn't as big of an issue as people say. And I grant I, I don't think that there's a monocausal uh, interpretation of, of any of this kind of stuff. But I have argued that this is the first election of a lot of blue state and purple state parents where they can express their anger because they couldn't express it in the presidential race because they don't like Donald Trump. Right. Oh. So they like it here. Andrew Rice wrote a piece just before um, uh, uh, we started taping here for the New York magazine, who's written great about the. Um, uh, Montclair, uh, New Jersey uh, schools 
situation, which were uh, this is a bedroom community of New York City where a lot of affluent, good liberal, good white liberals go to have their schools, except those schools were closed because the city is run by the union hack. Uh, the union hack mayor gets to then the teachers union, like he's a muckety muck there. Teachers union guy then gets to appoint all of the board members, the local school district. And what do you know? All the board members were union hacks who wanted the schools closed. And so it just like drove this town absolutely nuts. He wrote a piece uh, in which he says, and I didn't know this, I didn't follow New Jersey at all. This is where Governor Murphy won in a squeaker um, uh, and also like some absolutely rando truck driver spent $153, most of which or a lot of which at Dunkin' Donuts, uh, and he unseated the state Senate majority leader or something in the Democratic Party. Um, He says that, that the Republican, this is Andrew Rice, ran as a regular Jersey guy who attacked high property taxes, which they have huge, Murphy's mask and vaccine mandates, and the way schools are teaching about race. The public schools were closed for much longer than necessary, and Murphy Murphy did little to open them. It was hard to escape the suspicion that Murphy was removing himself because he was unwilling to cross the teachers union, his most important political ally, uh, etc. The provision of public education is among the most basic functions of government. And for many, many, many months, New Jersey's government fucked it up. This is a New York magazine writer who's like almost as mad, apparently, or even more than than I am about this shit. There, so education is, is there as an issue, and the fundamental part of it is not necessarily critical race theory. That can galvanize some people, for sure, because you, you're like exposed to this for the first time, and you're wondering why the school district in San Francisco is renaming 44 fucking schools instead of actually opening them, um, which is why uh, three of their board members were put up for uh, – for recall election, <laughs> but like to boil this all down as like some fucking dog whistle to white supremacy is insane. It's like saying, I, I don't want to know what the fuck is going on. The Asana Shakur Middle School is closed. <laughs> oh, okay. They, they changed it from the Joanne Chesson Art School. Uh, we have uh, an episode title. But, 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 you know, it's funny, too, is that, that um, you know, the, the number of people that are writing, I think stuff that I, I, I generally agree with, is that if you were to make Virginia a referendum on something, you could you know, plausibly make the case that this is the first step back to a more sane, uh, less Trumpy Republican Party. Absolutely. And on the other hand, you know, and on the other hand, you turn on the news and it's just like, oh, this is the the denouement of racist uh, Donald Trumpism winning. And it's like, I I just don't I can't even think I don't even live in the same planet as these people. It's just absolutely baffling to me that they say this. But, you know, look, we've all heard the a million you know, postmortems on this. But I think more than anything is that the, the press postmortem that we can do a couple of days later is um, incredibly depressing, that, that the pushback on this stuff is pretty weak. I mean, you see that clip that uh, Camille uh, played there. Uh, that was uh, Tom Elliott. Is that who we give that credit for, uh, Camille? Yeah, that guy? yeah that's right. Um, and, you know, some people, I saw some people tweeting it, but just usual suspects. But I don't see anyone else, you know, confronting the fact that the news media has gotten to a point, large sections of the news media, um, yeah. way too it's, large. It's mostly they MS, just, MSNBC completely deranged. I, I and think like that you'd probably find this, that same stuff like on CNN. Nut shop. And, and, there's, and there's some people at CNN who are doing precisely the same sort of thing. And, the, and there's all these fact checks, right, of like fact check, uh, CRT isn't really a thing. So, you know, 
mic drop. <laughs> yeah, that's not. That's not. <laughs> you're not getting down to the root of that particular issue. I am sorry that Chris Rufo, for my my purposes, which is the purposes of trying to describe the world as it is, as opposed to the purpose of trying to achieve. Uh, or think that you're achieving certain electoral goals um, uh, is to my purpose is to describe things as they are. Um, and so CRT was a great branding exercise. And we talked about this with Chris openly in, in the, uh, yeah. epi- in the yeah. episode that we had him on, like two different projects um, and what that has done. And this is actually makes it more brilliant, I think, his marketing standpoint from from the position of like trying to win culture wars. Um, is that um, there is a righteous fact check to say that, indeed, CRT is not being taught in many of these places. It's just that they have a bunch of new uh, uh, kind of uh, 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 policies and curricula and attitudes uh, that are based on race and equity that are freaking people out. Um, but then that is the end of the story for a whole lot of, of journalists. My God, the incuriosity to look mm-hmm. at that when you're getting rid of gifted and talented programs right and left in the name of equity, when you're when you're doing controlled choice admissions programs. These are new that they, they didn't widely proliferate before. Um, but like for journalistic people, Jay Rosen, I just saw this today right before coming on, had a tweet along the lines of like, you know, it, it was malpractice for the Associated Press to write about the school board protests without uh, pointing out that this is like totally ginned up astroturf uh, by the Republicans uh, to support a conspiracy theory. It's like, dude, I'm sorry you have to be more curious than that. The world is actually changing and not demographically necessarily. This is not like a bunch of people. Gosh, I'm so weirded out that the percentage of Latinos and blacks in my district in Brooklyn, New York, um, might be this instead of that. No, it's actually a question of what are the admissions policies and what is this and what is that? And they're contestable decisions. And to boil them all down um, into a one tiny little thing is it's an it's a, a expression of incuriosity and it's malpractice. And people really should be looking in the mirror after these election results for that. If you write for the New York Times, if you're writing a, a guest editorial for the New York Times, and you say that this is entirely ginned up. And again, I always you know, have the caveat that people are attacking something that isn't there in certain places. Uh, the winds are changing and there's a lot of it around. Um, and some people just want to get in on this and uh, you know, get riled up and say, well, we're just trying to prevent it from um, you know, germinating here. But if you're at the New York Times and you make this argument, you have to go around the corner and find your colleague who created an entire project, a very controversial one, that has a component to be taught in schools. And that is the 1619 Project, of course, which every time you say that now, because it's been turned back in the other direction that anybody who, who you know, puts that number out there is one of these crackpots. Uh, no, I mean, I, I watched the Gordon Wood debate, which is unbearable. Don't watch it because his opponent is just really an asshole and just mow-mows him the whole time. And it's really uh, unwatchable. What, what is correct about this? as is, uh, um, you know, Sean Malentz and James McPherson and all these people. It's, it's so obvious to me. If you actually know this period, if you read this stuff, it is an exercise in, as they say, rewriting America's past through, I think, a very political prism. 
And that's Wood's mm-hmm. argument, too. And Wood is a, not a conservative in any sense. I mean, he's a man of the left, for sure. But he is the, the grand old man of uh, this period in American history. And if you are doing that, at the same time saying this is a myth, this is totally made up, or if your newspaper is at any point reviewed the book Anti-Racist Baby, you might think <laughs> that maybe they're trying to just kind of get this in kind of early. Go into the bookstore. I don't need to see this. I, I, I think I, I either tweeted or I didn't tweet about it. I had all the pictures from a bookstore that I went into in all the front-facing books in the kids' section, uh, in the end caps. and all, Every single fucking one of them was political. It is so gross that, mm-hmm. like, books for four-year-olds about, you know, I get the Ruth Bader Ginsburg thing, which is, like, bizarre at this point of these all these hagiographies of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And, you know, I guess they cut out the whole Kaepernick section. <laughs> Didn't make it through the edit. <laughs> Katie Couric came in and razor-bladed those pages out. But, uh, you know, all of these things that are just, like, really hyper, hyper ideological and political. But when you are in a bubble, this is where these, I think this is where this happens, by the way. When you're in this bubble and you believe that the things that you think because all of your friends think them, every single person. You've never even met a Republican. You've never met somebody who disagrees with you. This is received truth to people. So rather than it being a political project, they just see this as the truth because they don't interact with things that might challenge this so-called truth. So everywhere I go, they're like, wait, what? How could you think that? I mean, they don't want to teach history. And it's like, well, the 1619 Project as history has some pretty dubious elements of it. And I think it's a political project more than it is a historical project. To say that is to arch a whole bunch of eyebrows and be like, what are you talking about? No, they don't want to teach history because you are in this space, people. I mean, not people who are listening to this. Obviously, they're not. Where when you don't interact with other people, when you don't interact with other ideologies or, you know, those people, 60 odd million of them voted for Donald Trump, it is your duty as an American, if you're going to go out there and talk about politics, to meet one of them, to try to get some sense. Because if you're on the other side, all you have to do is turn on the television. All you have to yeah. do is open a newspaper, watch a Hollywood film. It is all around you. There is, a, you know, an explanation of this stuff. I mean, they made a film of J.D. Vance's book, and I think it was probably pretty bad. But it, it, was, was, it was absolutely it was slated by everyone for that reason. Yeah. Because it was the J.D. Vance book rather than it being a bad film or something i don't know maybe it was a bad well, this film. was this was this is a bit before jd vance this is before he went off the deep end Trumpism, but, pe- which is but, interesting. but even, still, even then even then yeah. i mean yeah before we take any sort of turns away from the critical race theory stuff a, a couple of things that i think are, are worth mentioning related to what you guys have just said i've come to realize that my concern about the use of the phrase critical race theory in this debate is not dissimilar from the concern that i had or at least the awkwardness i felt when i would hear people frivolously using alt-right and attributing yeah. it to essentially everyone that they don't like and, and insisting that supremacy. all these people are all right are, yeah. are all right. But I'm saying in, at least from the kind of other political direction, it's mm-hmm. the same sort of dynamic. But we're also at a point now where it is hard to have conversations with people about the weird dynamics that are playing out in public education and various other contexts related to race and equity without acknowledging that critical race theory at this point, it now means something, even if it has some other formal meaning. Yeah. Um, but yeah. also um, this polling that I saw uh, related to the question of whether or not critical race theory helped sway the election in favor of the Republicans this go around. I kept seeing this headline saying something like critical race theory, top factor for 25 percent of Virginia voters, while 72 percent called it an important factor. Like I actually went and looked at the poll. This is uh, published by Fox News, but I went and looked at the poll itself. 
you should always do this people never just tweet the story based on what the fucking headline says the actual top factor the economy and jobs like 35% of the respondents said that was the thing that they were voting about it, it was true for many republicans as well education broadly was 14% maybe critical race theory isn't a question in that section and one can't respond in that particular way but it's jobs in the economy and other stuff like healthcare is pretty high up there. To the extent things are motivating conservatives to come out and vote, there's a range of issues that are likely at play here. And it's worth noting that the polling shifted dramatically beginning in September, yep. but really in just the last couple of weeks. And it's not because Chris Rufo parachuted into Virginia. Like, it's no, it's a, it, look, it's a factor, but both people on the weirdo MSNBC side of things and the Rufo side, they're making the same argument. That it's uh -huh. all critical race theory. I mean, because yeah. both have their motivations for making that argument. But yes. one one thing... One side needs a boogeyman. One side is very happy to be that boogeyman. Exa that's exactly <laughs> right. And, and, and expl as explicitly said, we want to be that boogeyman. Yes. But one, one final um, thing on the, the CRT as a term. I do find it quite funny that on this podcast, very frequently, and especially on the Patreon... I'm always going on about the redefinition of words and how uh -huh. unbelievably every day you have somebody in the crazy side of the ledger redefining just basic words and yet are so angry that an academic concept uh, of a legal concept is my favorite thing. It's like, stop, come on, stop. Uh, Kimberly Crenshaw is like, just seriously, shut the fuck up. Then, okay, then you come up with something. Come up with another term for the crazy nonsense that passes as sort of, you know, sociology for kids or history for kids. But that idea that people who absolutely make it their life's mission to redefine basic words in English are upset that this is an imprecise term. Unbelievable. One uh, question I want to ask you, Camille, is so you got a lot of pushback from Rufo, especially, but also people in his universe after you joined um, some uh, you know, objective communists and other people and David French to uh, write a piece <laughs> in the New York Times. and one psycho. <laughs> uh, to, to write a piece warning against the anti-CRT bills that were working their way. The mm. more egregious ones, I think, uh, came about in Texas, maybe Tennessee. You know the details better those, than those I do. Those are at least the ones we name-checked in the piece. There are a lot of people, and Rufo is definitely one of them. There's a lot of high-fiving selfies out there right now. Isn't he vindicated? And it shows that you libertarians and you David Frenchies, you process liberals who care about you know what <laughs> what the mainstream media thinks of you have been proven to be uh, irrelevant. No. <laughs> Next question. There's separate. There's separate questions here. A lot of them. I mean, one we've addressed already, and it's the question of how big a role critical race theory stuff, in particular, played in winning this particular election. That's one question. But the reality is that I have concerns about a lot of the idiotic um, race essentialism that is dominating the culture in a bunch of different places. And I talk about it frequently, and I think it's appropriate to talk about it in a forceful and nuanced way. So I don't have a problem with elevating that issue. I also don't think it's the single most important issue in the polity. And it's not clear that that won the election. But relatedly, they were interested in pursuing bans, critical race theory bans in order to arrest this cultural change. And there is zero evidence that that particular strategy is working. In fact, if we look 
at what has happened since that piece was written. What we were told was, Camille, you people published a piece that suggested that the Texas bill and the Tennessee bill were something other than carefully constructed bills that were narrowly aimed at preventing people from saying particular bad things like white kids should feel guilty about being white. And it is proven correct that in practice, these bills functionally (laughs) create a great deal of uncertainty about how curriculums should be constructed and what constitutes uh, a kid being made to feel uncomfortable or feeling as though they're being told that they should feel shame on account of their race. We've seen so many ridiculous controversies that should have played out in the school board meeting, elevated to national issues, and it hasn't helped anyone. Weird, surreptitiously recorded audio of school board meetings in which people are debating whether or not it's okay to, to talk about the Holocaust without presenting the other side. That is a direct result of these idiotic bans, which again is not to say that it isn't important whether or not schools are engaged in indoctrination. It suggests that there's perhaps a better way to go about talking about these things. And maybe as opposed to taking a side in an idiotic culture war, you try to circumvent the whole thing and focus on things that actually matter, like developing pedagogy that's better, like establishing curriculum that works in a more serious way. The fact that Chris is still looking to pass these bans in places like Virginia, I'm sorry, if you think that the culture war is going to be over because someone passed a ban in Virginia, go look at Texas. They're still having problems. And legislators who are submitting letters on official Texas legislature um, letterhead asking for lists of books so that they could start to get to work on banning them. So that they can prevent people from looking at Norman Rockwell paintings celebrating the integration of public education. We're going to prohibit that because it makes it seem like you're saying America is something less than stellar and amazing. No, everything that we said in that editorial has been vindicated. There are there are concessions I've already made um, in previous podcasts about whether or not the wording should have been slightly different if we're talking about the implications of the bill as opposed to the literal text of the bill. But the the practical way in which a bill is interpreted is the thing that you should talk about when the law is being passed and when people are talking about implementing this all over the damn country. And when you don't make any differentiation between what you're doing in kindergarten and what you're doing in 12th grade, and you just are interested in banning concepts completely, that is fucking censorship. And that is not how you go about changing the culture. The book banners never win, asshole. Never. The, the, the time when the schools in America were, if you read Francis Fitzgerald's book, uh, were teaching rah-rah, jingoism, we've never done anything wrong and minimizing the actual things that we did wrong as a country. Uh, it was the 1950s and resulted in the 1960s. Mm. <laughs> That's where you ended up. You ended up in 1968. So it didn't work before. I, I don't suspect it'll work now, but... Um, it won't cool off the culture war. It yeah. will not work. I, I think one of the obvious ways in which this ferment can be funneled in a useful way, and this lines up with my ideological priors and also professional career, so take that with a very, very thick grain of salt, um, which is to say, if you follow a model of backpack funding, which Virginia has not, right? Let the money follow the kid as opposed to go to a system. Virginia, as last I look, has eight charter schools in the state. New York has eight charter schools. I could like probably hit with a a grapefruit from where I'm sitting right now. Um, 
because of Michael Bloomberg, and I don't say nice things about him very often. So that's the one time. But school choice has never been more popular as an issue. It's polling at 74% super bipartisan Mm -hmm. at this moment because everyone, especially parents, dealing with the pandemic and the response to it are like, Jesus Christ, really? The one-size-fits-all way of providing K-12 education is so self-evidently wrong because people have very different ideas about a lot of these very core issues. I think the crazy thing, and it's worth exploring at greater length, is the way that the public education system itself undermined and rotted the whole structure from within. I mean, the the National Education Association this summer, uh, Becky Pringle, who runs it, she's the lesser known uh, villain. Randy Weingart is, is the chief villain of her rival union, the American Federation of Teachers. But uh, they like passed a thing saying like, you know what? Critical race theory is great and it's really important. Like Exactly when Chris Rufro was getting steam, they're like, you know what? Yes, we want more critical race theory everywhere. <laughs> hey, Jesus and uh, by the way, we're going to release... <laughs> We're going to release, uh, you know, a second press release uh, to the to the people of Virginia uh, apologizing for calling you terrorists. <laughs> that might have had some effect on on people who were like, oh, I don't know about this. Holy yeah, cow! You're, you're yeah, basically the yeah. Timothy McVeigh of uh, K through twelve <laughs> education. It's like you fucking kidding me. It's also there was a there's a woman. Um, who was like running around with like an Indian headdress on or something and shrieking and hollering and did, Cher? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah. Actually, I'm, I was trying to find her name. Um, <laughs> I knew it was one oh, name. You're, you're talking about the teacher. Yeah, yeah. the teacher. Um, yeah. Oh she's yeah, she's yeah. teaching math. If she's I'm not teaching mistaken, math. And she's like clearly an insane person, <laughs> and I think she got suspended or something like that. This yeah. is the best uh, way of dealing with this stuff: is shame, <laughs> is shaming these people, right? I mean, all this stuff that happened in New York private schools is like you are voluntarily paying 50, 60 grand a year to have your kids teach this, uh, taught this stuff. You have no recourse. It's not, you know, this is not taxpayer stuff. And yet it became a big issue. And that's where it all started, actually. It all started in private schools. It all started at, you know, Dalton and, you know, the the cathedral school. And, you know, we had uh, one of the, the teachers, math teacher there on this podcast. It was great. It was actually um, called the cathedral school. That wasn't Michael making a shorthand notice to. Yes. Yeah. Sort of like a hat tip towards Camille's friends. Go on. Yes, this is the, but the, like that kind of stuff. I mean, if it if it's if it's crazy and it's not Berkeley, I mean, because you know, Rufo said on our show, if they want to do that in Austin, if they want to do that in Berkeley, you know, Godspeed to them. Um, if if parents don't want that, you're going to find out about it. it. I mean, honestly, it's it's it, it. The crazy, crazy stuff where you hear, and that's always the stuff that's underlined, is that you know what what is it like? The kids are guilty of spirit murder of the the their fellow black students or something. That stuff is not going to just sit there, uh, particularly mm-hmm. in a time where we have the internet and you know TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. It's going to get out there, and that stuff brings the pressure. And the lawmakers step in, and they see a great issue to demagogue on, and it's going to get results. So They're I don't think you yeah. and land acknowledgments. Uh, I want to acknowledge right now that the land that I'm sitting on is land that I purchased last year. And if you'd like it back, go fuck yourself because I'm going to shoot you in the fucking head if you try to come on my land. That's my land acknowledgement. This is mine, motherfucker. Yeah. There is a reservation close by. And they uh-huh. do. Uh, they're very nice people. I go there and buy buy um, tobacco products. So um, everybody wins. <laughs> but I'm acknowledging my land, and I want to say that I have two spirits. Um, yeah. <laughs> what is the? Oh, did you? So did you see the Microsoft thing? Yeah. So I guess oh we, we're transitioning to that. Well, you got yeah. to. It's so good. 
It's I have that audio right here. Me, oh, yeah, play it. Play it's it. so play good. It. Is the blonde right. lady? <laughs> no, she actually has brown hair. Oh, there's yeah. a brown. She yeah, told yeah, us about yeah. her brown hair. That's how I I know for sure. The Asian white one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's let's play it now. Welcome to Microsoft Ignite. We've got a big day ahead and lots in store for you. First, we want to acknowledge that the land where the Microsoft campus is situated was traditionally occupied by the Sammamish, the Duwamish, the Snoqualmie, the Suquamish, the Muckleshoot, the Snohomish, the Tulalip and other Coast Salish peoples since time immemorial. <laughs> wait, wait, since time immemorial. She's making shit up. Muckle shoot? That's not real. Well, we, we have to let her, it's not we real. Have to let her finish. Not we have thing. to let her finish. A people that are still here, continuing to honor and bring to light their ancient heritage. Which also involved slavery and intertribal warfare, and probably cannibalism and a bunch of other stuff. But but let's let her keep going. Oh, she's got more. She's got more. My name is Allison Wines. I'm a senior program manager in our developer tools division. I'm an Asian and white female with dark brown hair wearing a red sleeveless top. She should have said person with vagina. That's the only real criticism. Why aren't that I they? Have here. Why isn't you describing the shit that I really want to describe? <laughs> oh God, <laughs> not tall enough. What? You don't know what I mean. I could mean anything. After this, her colleague does precisely the same thing. And I'm Seth Juarez, program manager of the AI Platform Group. I'm a tall Hispanic male wearing a blue shirt, khaki pants. Today we kick off two days of learning more about the latest solutions, exploring how these key innovations can empower you to do great things. And connecting with peers from around the world. By the way, the d- I, if there's a question and answer period, I would interrupt her uh, and say, "You just said a bunch of tribes that you're clearly <laughs> mispronouncing because you're like <laughs> they're like rhyming at some point." But she's also saying them in, in the colonizers' language, which is the yes, real problem. exactly. I mean, why is she not speaking Choctaw here? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, speaking Choctaw. Um, <laughs> But the question is that I want to know, right? Uh, they didn't all live there at the same time together. So what happened? Well, some of some of them did. Really? <laughs> Until they they were all at the same time? No one was kicking anybody else off <laughs> the land? Some of them did. Yeah. They, they, they weren't peacefully coexisting. I don't think so. Yeah. I think that maybe one of them might have kicked the other one off and with some extreme force at some point. And, uh, you know, what was the name of that series, Camille, on HBO that, that you made me watch the first 20 minutes of with Josh Hartnett? Oh, God. It was like, kill all everybody that moved. Oh, kill, kill all the brutes or destroy all yeah, brutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the beginning, <laughs> in the beginning, when I was watching yeah, don't, it. Don't, was, don't bother watching it. <laughs> I was sending Camille text because I was like, all right, I'm going to watch the first bit. In the first bit, it's amazing because it's this seminal... Uh, and, you know, Seminole had uh, escaped and freed slaves that came and lived with Seminole. But that's only part of the story. So in it, they're like, it's incredible because everyone's speaking English. And they're like, you know, with like a Midwestern accent, they're like, I want to stay, but I don't think I can. And he's like, stay here because the slavers will come and kill you and we will protect you. And at the same time, I'm sending Camille uh, bits from books about uh, <laughs> the slavery problem that the Seminole had of owning uh, black slaves. Uh, which is not mentioned in this because it, it complicates the narrative a little bit. And all it means, and the only reason I point this out, is that history is really complicated. And mm-hmm. no one is a good guy ever. There's no good guys in history. And everyone's always aggressively stealing something or taking something or, let's use the fashionable words, appropriating something. Kind of happens. 
But this is the only moment in human history in which we sit around going, we really have to make our present about how bad we feel about the past. I cannot recall another time where that was an active emotion in both like, you know, corporate politics. I mean, Jesus Christ, in, in the business world, it's insane. You know, in our political world, in our education, it's just a weird, weird, weird and, and unnecessary time to be living. I want to point out uh, quickly to my Muckleshoot brethren out there yes. that just because your tribal name is inherently funny to people who aren't used to it, uh, it exists. It's, it's a, they're not, the, the Muckleshoots, we're rocking the Cascade Mountains into the Puget Sound, yeah. and I'm sure we're being <laughs> awesome, and I'm sorry for any disparity, but your name's kind of funny in English. We have to, to, to acknowledge <laughs> yeah, can, yeah. super, I mean, it's I mean, not funny, it's awesome. Like, you you want to be a, a muckleshoot. A muckleshoot guy listening to this podcast going, Matt Welch, what a dumb name. No, I mean, like, I, I grew up <laughs> I in the... I he talks like a Greek guy. But <laughs> I, I grew up in Chumash territory. And Chumash is, is cool because it sounds like an adjective. Yeah. yeah, I'm a little Chumash today. That's kind of where I'm, I'm going here. But yeah. like the fucking muckleshoots. And then just uh, south of them uh, in uh, in Oregon is the Nez Perce, which is great because it's sort of French and weird and, and their story is is uh, horrific and tragic. But I just wanted to uh, to uh, point that out and, and respect for, for everybody. There is and a also, thing, though. Do, yeah, go ahead. Respecting, acknowledging, understanding, and studying mm -hmm. the tragic histories of many of these tribes and just, you know, um, the United States before it was the United States and after, too, um, is necessary to be a sort yes. of complete person yes. when, when you're talking about the United States. Th that is rather different than it becoming a singular obsession when the person who's saying this, like this woman who's saying this, I can picture her because she told me how to picture her. Um, mm. <laughs> uh, you really, because we have to like just really account for everybody who's possibly listening to this. Um, you know, the blind person's like, what the fuck? I've never had this before. What are you doing? This is not helping me. This is not helping me. You could be anything. Is not for blind red people. shirt doesn't give me anything. <laughs> you're, 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 like, I'm Asian, especially if you've There's never billion, seen colors There's before. Many you've billion Asian people. Before. You could be anything. What do you look like, Chairman Mao? I don't I have no idea what you look like. It's fucking stupid. But you know, this, this thing at this point, where the woman who's saying this literally has no no understanding of the history of any of these tribes. Couldn't tell right. you the first thing about it. She right. is just mouthing it because that's what one's supposed to do. And that's what you did when you like sang the Internationale as a Komsomol in the school in St. Petersburg when you were 13 years old in 1955. You're just mouthing it. You know it's what you have to do and you move on. It's not helping anyone at all. So stop fucking pretending. Honor and bring to light their ancient heritage. Is that um, what she said? <laughs> that's what she said. That she would honor and bring to light their ancient heritage. What, what bring to they occupied these lands from time immemorial. Bitch, that's not totally lying. true. <laughs> not... It's wrong. It's not yeah. true. This is false. Yes. Um, more than that, someone someone actually tweeted um, a, a bit of the Wikipedia entry for this particular region. Oh, that's funny. I'll, I'll read it quickly. Unlike hunter-gatherer societies widespread in North America, but similar to other Pacific Northwest coastal cultures. Coast Salahi society was complex, hierarchical, and oriented toward property and status. Huh? Huh? Mm -hmm. Slavery was practiced, although its extent is a matter of debate. I wonder who's debating that. <laughs> the debate is, was it a lot or was it really a lot? <laughs> these, these same peoples held slaves as simple property mm -hmm. and not as members of the tribe. The children of slaves were born into slavery. 
in innovation, obviously, they must have learned from white people. That's the only it's way they simple can Simple property. What is that? <laughs> it's so... <laughs> it's kind of mitigating for... It's so extraordinary how disinterested people are in, in the complicated history of our species, in the reality that most of us are the descendants, not most, all of us. I'm, I feel comfortable saying this. All of us are the descendants of people who've been subjugated, broken, and brutalized, and also people who did brutalizing plenty of it if you have survived if your genes made it this far it's because somebody was a fucking murderer rapist a thief who was able to make it through some of the darkest periods of history by doing terrible things to other humans for their own fucking benefit it is worth recognizing that that's the case and that we are part of a project to try and do something radically different just by virtue of our existing here in the united states of america which, as Gordon Wood points out, what, what is that miraculous book um, that I don't know if you mentioned it specifically, Moynihan, or if I mm -hmm. found it as a result of um, you uh, sharing that article. But um, the radicalism of the, oh, American, the American Revolution, Revolution. is a great book. Yeah, um, it's a really phenomenal, yeah. complicated, nuanced book that tries to give you a perspective on how people thought about themselves mm -hmm. at the time of the revolution, how they thought about concepts like freedom and liberty, how they were able to square in their own minds, writing a constitution that talked about freedom, et cetera, et cetera, but was only willing to give the right to vote, for example, to people who own property. They, they had a particular understanding of property, of uh, fraternity, of friendship, of, of even what sort of obligations go along with being a member of the elite class. Like it's complicated and it is difficult to put ourselves back into that mindset. So in order to just avoid having to do that work at all, we can pretend that we know exactly what was going on, which is they were motivated by white supremacy. There's literally no book about Thomas Jefferson that's, that I've ever come across. Or if you look in the uh, curricula of, of schools that doesn't mention that Thomas Jefferson owned slaves and usually mentions the Halle, Sally Hemings story. It's not as if these stories are told without these complicating factors being included now. I would be f firmly opposed to that. I would be, th that would be an absolute tragedy and a travesty of history if someone was leaving out just because Thomas Jefferson did and wrote some amazing things, right? One amazing thing that we can all agree on, right? And it's the, the myth of this is we're just trying to teach history. And I bang on about this all the time. And I think there's probably a book in this that I should write about this, you know, this sense that history isn't being taught, so therefore we have to teach it, which is a, a backdoor way of saying, I want history to be more ideological because there's nowhere on earth. And trust me, you would find it. And they would be talking about it all the time. If there was some school book somewhere that was like, you know, Thomas Jefferson never owned slaves and he was the nicest man ever and didn't have any flaws. And I had uh, somebody hand me something and I, I have it still. I'll, I'll send it to you guys. Um, that was one of the uh, pro kind of CRT people in Florida with some highlights of a book that was being used. And this was to show me that white supremacy was was uh, existed in in the curriculum. So I pointed on the piece that the person who was opposing this, uh, you know, strongly opposing it, didn't really have any idea what he was talking about because it was about that. It wasn't about the other side in this sense. But the other people showed me this thing and highlighted these things that were just like the most banal sentences ever. And I was like, what is, what do you object to here? And like, well, and it was this hyper political reading of every sentence and saying what they're not telling you. I'm like, no, no, but that's, 
you can every paragraph I can tell you something they're not telling you because there's an economy of words that's necessary to teach <laughs> students. I mean, what are you fucking kidding me? So everybody is bullshitting about this at all times, and it's incredibly frustrating. I suppose it's just a lesson that is worth trying to impart over and over again. And there's a sense in which it's kind of core to this entire weird thing that we do on the podcast where we're talking about the news cycle and the particular narratives that people arrive at and the ones that are off repeated. And it is necessarily the case that it is a, it's a simplification of a really complicated universe that we live in, in exactly the same way that maps are not one-to-one because if they were, <laughs> if they included every inch, every tree, every rock, every signpost, right. like it would be impossible to make any use of that document. In yeah. fact, it wouldn't be a document. It would literally be the world <laughs> represented again. There's so one person that does this. To, it's Gordon you Wood. To do this. Yeah. <laughs> we need him because so, he writes these doorstop books. But the comp, but the but but even there, right? Like having different people take their cut at this and give it to us and give us a different perspective. One perhaps rooted in this preposterous racial and power lens. I, I said it. I'm defining it as preposterous. That doesn't mean there aren't things to be learned from that. There very well could be. Um, if if only that these people are incredibly stupid and not interested in complexity and nuance but maybe there's something else there that's beneficial i'm sure there is in fact look the the the, the book stamped from the beginning which is a net, being made into a netflix series now by ibram x kendi um won a national book award he i think just got some genius uh he got the macarthur genius award yes he did it is by any objective measure a bad book of history it is and talk about leaving things out it's you have to leave things out that that you know, make the story needlessly complicated, but you shouldn't leave things out that contradict everything that you're saying, which happens a lot in that book. And, you know, it's, it is from one point of view, that's fine, but it's not presented that way. I'm totally fine. Like, I think if you ask Paul Johnson, uh, if he was writing conservative history, it'd say yes, Howard Zinn, he would say yes too. It's kind of encoded in the title of Howard Zinn's book, A People's History, is a kind of redolent of you know, Soviet history. It's the people's, the people's Republic of China. It is that's, you know, it's, you know what you're getting. Whereas what's happening now, and I think the difference is, is that rather than saying this is the Noam Chomsky style of history, this is the ideological, this is a right-wing historian, left-wing historian, and you listen to Gordon Wood debate these people, and they're always talking about, yeah, this is a sort of liberal historian, this is a conservative historian, and you kind of know where they're coming from because they emphasize different things. The difference now is that this is the truth, and the truth has not been taught. Mm. That's a very, very new thing. That we are going up into the average person's face and saying, and this is not, these are not debates of, uh, amongst historians. You know, Ibram X. Kennedy is not a historian. And you can tell that from his book, particularly because it's a clip job from every other, he's done no original research. And he's clipped it and made his version of, okay, fine. That's, I'm fine with that. But when you start telling people that this is the lost history of the United States, that they're keeping from you, who is they? They never tell you. They being, in my case, Ibram X. Kenti and his, his acolytes. But this kind of, you know, narrative is based on nothing. It's just totally invented. That there's a, a, a cabal of people, it's conspiracy theory, basically, that are preventing the real history of the United States being told. And I'm not going to say, well, here's Ibram X. Kenti's uh, uh, take on it, and here's Gordon Wood's take on it. It's just that this is the book that you should read because it's telling you the lost and true history of America's past. That is untrue. John yeah. McWhorter came up with a uh, phrase in the last couple of days because he's been doing promo on his book, Woke yeah. Racism, um, where he didn't use CRT. In this case, he used, I think it was, Kendi D'Angeloism. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. And I, it's probably even I more elegant. Yeah. I think he did. It's, it was like more of a portmanteau. It was like, like it's, uh, yeah. it, it's, I'm sure more, a slightly more elegant because it's John and he's a linguist and, and what, whatnot. But like, no, uh, there's something about candy. I mean, uh, there's like some, some F bombs and all kinds of stuff that might be in there. That, sometimes <laughs> you just call them dumb or stupid, but, the, but like there's fair. something to that because there's a greater chance that if your kid is going to public schools, including my 13 year old, uh, she's been assigned Ibram X candy in her school. Like they've been exposed to oh, it. Stamped. Um, is she reading stamped? I don't even know what there's a kid, there's a kid's be, version of both of that, of that book because they're trying to get kids to read it. by by uh, a gentleman with whom I've had uh, some association, a, a friend, I'd say, Jason mm -hmm. Reynolds. But um, I, I was thinking, uh, Michael, talk to you about oh, this book, Jason, we talk about this. And you should come on the podcast. Talk to me about this book, Jason. Uh, no, uh, Michael, thinking about uh, your uh, comment about sort of like getting in a position of authority and then saying like this is the real like secret history but i'm not going to say that it's the secret history that it's just the history and now finally someone on the inside is telling it to you it's a that's an interesting dynamic to kind of reflect on and just sort of like even seed for later because that explains i think or at least informs a lot of what we think about the 1619 project and i'm someone who i, I don't look for opportunities to engage with that project or its main, I don't want to say defender because she doesn't actually ever defend it, but like uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, casts insults at those who would, <laughs> who would accuse her of whatever. Uh, Nicole Hannah Jones. Yeah. Um, uh, but like, uh, and if you think about her role at the Times, the New York Times in general, it, it tends to be of someone who is constantly conscious of the platform. In fact, I think she was expressing dismay that John McWhorter in particular, or maybe I'm confusing him with somebody else, but I don't think that I am, um, uh, was is like now on the platform talking about these issues because he's somehow not credentialed enough or whatever. She's, uh, I mean, the word platform, the verb platform, mm -hmm. um, it means a lot to a lot of people in a certain uh, uh, sector of the discourse there. And you can, you can kind of understand why, like, like it, can we inhabit this thing that has all of this legacy importance and respect? And once we get in there, can we do a thing? Uh, and so in, in, in some sense, it's very Chris Rufo esque actually. I, I tip my hat to the, uh, the effect of it. Like she has done the thing. She went into the institution, got the institution to back her, even though she didn't act very well during it. And she published some flawed stuff, particularly whatever pertained to the pre-Civil War and especially the Revolutionary War era things. And she didn't act like you would expect an intellectual or a historian or just a journalist or a human to act in the face of criticism. She act, acted very um, lashing out at people and, 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 and very uncollegial. However, if you take it from the perspective of she wanted to obtain the platform and use this marvelous thing as a way to achieve this goal that she had in mind. Very successful, very interesting um, to think about how that symbolizes a way that people are approaching the question. I think it's the wrong way to approach the question because I don't think that there is a, a, a truth that you can like throw down with a thunderbolt that is going to ultimately be persuasive. Mm -hmm. um, 
but it kind of, I think, maybe hints at a description of what we are kind of dealing with in this world. It's amazing that people don't realize that this is a rerun. You know, this is, we're in syndication now. This happened before, right? I mean, the CRT stuff happened in the early 90s with school debates, like real big ones too. Um, but on the history end, does anyone, nobody remembers Martin Burnell's book, uh, Black Athena, I think it was called, which was the beginning of the Afrocentrist craze at certain parts of the academy. I mean, these are people who are actual scholars that, I mean, Black Athena is a, is a bizarre book. And Burnell and a bunch of, uh, was it Kalefi Asante and some of these people, it became such a big thing that you could, I don't know if you can still find this. If someone can find this for me, because our listeners are very resourceful. There was a 60 Minutes episode um, on Afrocentric scholarship that basically just lit them on fire. That just blew <laughs> them out of the fucking water because they were so crazy. And there was another one um, with Mary, it was, I think that was the one with Mary Lefkowitz, who was a professor at I think Wellesley College um, and wrote a book about this, which is actually a pretty good kind of history of these wars. It was kind of contemporaneous book. It came out in like 95, 96 or something. And the claims were bizarre, right? Like, I mean, there were literally scholars saying that the erosion of the nose of the Sphinx in Egypt was oh, not erosion at all. It was a cannon uh -huh. shot yeah. to shoot off the nose because it, it was recognizably happening. so offensive to Napoleon. He just yes. he couldn't, he couldn't see that. No, exactly. Th that, that bullshit comes from precisely the same place as all of the conspiracy theories about Snapple being run for the financial benefit of the fucking Church's KKK. Chicken, yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's the same shit. It's chemtrails. It's all the same shit. And, in, in, and it is totally true that the prevailing way in which people talk about white supremacy and everything that I don't like is motivated by other people's racism. It is all insane QAnon-esque conspiracy theory yeah. bullshit. Yeah. These, these people ought to have been in Dallas this past week waiting for JFK <laughs> Jr. to show up. It's the same thing. Did he show up? Thing. I, 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 you know I didn't set my alarm. That it, it turns out he's dead and dead yeah. people do not show up at yeah. these kinds of appointments. They tend to miss them. Yeah. Should have asked Roger Stone, who who told me one time that he's writing a book yeah. uh, about JFK Jr. being murdered by Hillary Clinton. Seriously. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. see, hard to show up if you're murdered yeah. by J Hillary Clinton. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> we we know who else was murdered and definitely did not hang himself. Um. <laughs> Vince Foster? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you know that Microsoft uh, apparently has like $72 billion in net cash? Like, if Microsoft really felt terribly yeah. guilty about where their campus was located and whose land it was on. Why don't they give that shit back? Why does Microsoft need stolen land? Can we look into that? Can somebody look into that? Do we put a well, researcher on that? Maybe there is no land that wasn't stolen. Camille, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. but they could pay, pay them for the land and then stop apologizing. Make them rich, Microsoft. Pay the when, bounty. What, what is the statute of limitations on paying for stolen land? I mean, you know, if you can still go and talk about it, give them the money. Y'all got yeah. it. Mm -hmm. you, you're good exactly. for it. Oh, God. Exactly. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. by the way, we've been doing that for a long time. What's that? Giving, giving money and, uh, you know, it's just then you get Foxwoods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, always some white guy, too, who's like, I am the chief of the tribe, and his name's like Rick Miller. And it's like, what? What are you, like 136? And he's like, yep, 130. Oh, there was a woman that was caught this week 
Um, I think she might have been a professor of pretending that she was native. Um, I can't remember, what, but it's really funny. It's it's a very Dolezal in all in all the in all the obvious ways. But it reminded me of that uh, Kendi self own tweet that he deleted. Oh, yeah. It's like it's like it's so horrible, and everyone's desperately trying to pretend that they're <laughs> all these white people applying for school, saying that they're Native American in hopes yeah. that it will help them get into school, which makes sense because <laughs> white privilege. Um, I wanted to ask: Have, have either of you bothered to watch? Tucker Carlson's very controversial Fox Nation original documentary series. No, but I think that if it were as bad as everyone said that it was going to be, that uh-huh. I'd see a, have seen a bunch of clips of it, but I haven't. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Are there clips? How about you, How about you Matt Welch? No, I have a life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I was thinking precisely the same thing, that this thing is out there now, and apart from a lot of very urgent concern that was expressed around the time that this provocative trailer was released, the provocative trailer in which they were careful to ensure that someone talked about January 6th potentially being a false flag operation because these things have happened in the past. We're just asking questions. But in the actual documentary itself, one wonders what those claims look like. And I, I was about to sign up for my uh, my Fox Nation uh, free trial uh, and I have to set an alarm, a reminder to remind myself to cancel that motherfucker before I get billed for a full year at $69 because y'all ain't getting my money. Um, oh, it's I a full do, year thing? Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you do the free trial, you could also do 99 cents for the first month, but I don't even want to give you a dollar. I want <laughs> for free trial. Okay, mm-hmm. I want my free trial. I see what you're trying to do here. I know what's happening. Right? This is this is the uh, it's the shit that they do at the uh, at the at the carnival that comes to town, where outside there, you see the sign, see the woman who also has a beard and several boobs and two penises. Come in and see, and then you walk in, and it's just like a potato, and this is not what was promised at all. <laughs> That is I a thing. Have a that lot might have of so, a long transphobic. Well, I was going to say, uh, but that's the thing. But that's the thing. I didn't want it to be we're transphobic. Not potatoes, Camille. I didn't we're want people. it to be transphobic. So I couldn't you. just say the bearded woman because that's mm. not that's no longer acceptable. But mm. if the woman has a beard and several boobs and mm-hmm. also two penises, do you see mm-hmm. what I did there? It's yeah. interesting because she has so many. There's yeah. nothing wrong with it. There's no I mean, judgment here. Look, be it sounds like are. a lot of fun to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where do and I even I begin? Said, I said she's a woman. Which end of the buffet do I pronouns, start? <laughs> her pronouns are yes, please. So <laughs> that is what's important here. I just, I, come on. I'm love. being supportive of love the community. Love is important here. Uh, That's yeah. what I'm promoting. Please I'm not promoting Patreon violence. as insurance against <laughs> firing from his job <laughs> that he pretends to have. That he actually I, got fired from two months ago. because of these weapons I clutch. Yeah. And the niggas that I'm under is just too much. Yeah. You made it. niggas. That's a Tupac Ooh. quote. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anything else that we haven't touched on that we ought to touch on? It, it, I'm, I'm looking at the New York Times now. It looks like divided Democrats lurch toward vote on one trillion dollar infrastructure bill. Maybe they're, they're lurching. Republicans are pouncing. Yeah. Um, what, what, what I you, did what a, a Google search, a news search about five days ago, just on the phrase uh, Republicans pounce and also Republicans seize. Because I was going <laughs> to do something with it. 
There were too many. There was like a political story that had three <laughs> different variants of Republican C's. And this is all in re- reference to the Virginia schools thing. Like it's it's gone beyond be, be, the it, it's a, acquired its own artificial intelligence now. It's just like it's it's replicating <laughs> itself. It's now, Skynet. That's how we do it. It's <laughs> Skynetting Republicans pounds and C's on any. This is the gray goo that will consume us all. Um, yeah, uh, I wonder what else is there. Oh, um. Oh, vax, vax no, those mandates. Are gonna, those are going to I happen. mean, uh, that's... Well, the, the, the broader mandate is they're going to be saved on this um, by Pfizer, um, who is effectively going to end... I, I agree with Scott Gottlieb on this, who said this uh, tonight, that the pandemic is effectively over if this Pfizer pill is what they claim it to be. And they wouldn't actually... I mean, obviously, not going to... Compl- com- I can't speak English. Claim that it's 89, 90% effective... If it isn't, uh, you do that if you're the Cuban government making your fake vaccine or the Chinese government or something. But your share price is too important to you to, to lie about that. But if that is true, then and that is after you get COVID that you take this pill, as far as I know. Am I wrong about this? I think that's no, what it is. That's, that's what my understanding mm-hmm. is. Yeah. yeah. And we're done. And but it cuts the risk. But it, it's because it cuts the risk of hospitalization and death. Right. It eliminates yeah. The risk of death, according to at least the, I mean, it, you can't eliminate it, but like it, the trial is seven people died here, zero people died there on it. No. Um, yeah, but and, the, cl- the official claim is like something like 90% or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's always going to be, yeah. That, I mean, that, okay. percent, that percentage it's is weird to, to grok with, but like the, and we had uh, a listener uh, wondering like, oh, does Matt and Camille use the word grok? Does that mean they secretly read that one book? Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> it's an awesome times. book. I got yeah. a, I got a, I got a long. I wrote my like uh, high school dissertation on how that book and the Summer of Love in 1967 in Haight Ashbury uh, were connected. Is that so, true? Absolutely. Called the Martian <laughs> and the Hippies. I have it within reaching distance of me right now. <laughs> you are so weird. I'm fucking weird, dude. <laughs> it's weirder than you think. It really is. Um. Uh. But no. Uh, that that I and. I don't want to French goodbye this shit, but like uh, I agree that it's over if we were in a country ruled by non-fucking horrifying nurse ratchet fucking idiots. But we're not. We're not. Goddamn uh, Rochelle Walensky, who's Moynihan's problem because she's from fucking Boston, uh, made a a video today um, saying like, ask, ask the experts. Um, the expert says, why do we still, uh, you know, the question was, why do we still need to wear masks? Well, you know, masks prevent, um, you know, cuts down COVID by 80 percent, totally thrown out of her ass. Um, and it's also, you know, it's pretty good for preventing colds. So keep wearing your masks forever. Yeah. If it's going to prevent, if she's telling us forever. to prevent COVID, yeah, forever. I'm going to jab my six-year-old with a shot tomorrow and I'm happy to do it. Um, part of the reason, most of the reason is to, you know, whatever, the, she doesn't get the COVID, but I wasn't worried about that for fuck's sake because she's six and mm-hmm. they don't really get it and they don't spread it and they don't suffer from it. But it's like maybe someday she won't have to wear a fucking mask on this day of all days when the 5 to 11 vax is available beginning yesterday, uh, basically Thursday. And widespread today on Friday. And when we hear the Scott Gottlieb news that it's over, we've got a therapeutic. We've got 70 percent of the country, whatever the fucking number is, um, who are vaccinated. What the fuck are we doing? 
When is it ever going to fucking stop? I don't think that it is going to stop. We're going to be wearing this. They're going to pass a fucking vax mandate to fly on a fucking airplane or get on a fucking Amtrak. This is all going to happen. It's going to be stay with us for as long as people don't serially vote everybody out of office who are doing this. And, but like the that is what they continue to fucking communicate right now. So it's over and it's fucking not over. And it has a horrible effect on people, average people, because I apparently (laughs) Um, you got to take your pills, Matt. You're, you're, you're missing the Wellbutrin again. It's going to drive you crazy. No, a friend uh, was telling me about other friends whose kid uh, was at a camp and somebody was exposed to the camp, young kid, and they're all like isolating their child for 10 days and putting masks on in the house. And I'm like, guys, like, has anyone told you anything about this? How this works? You know, what happened? No, at this point, you still don't know. But there is, they love it too. They really, really get off on telling you like how preventative they're being and how they're like, you know, wrapping their kid in bubble wrap and 17 masks and the rest of it. And, you know, you see this, these uh, numbers of it's almost 80% of people who died of, of uh, COVID were either obese or overweight uh, in the U.S. And I did the numbers in Sweden because the Swedes have a very uh, a good uh, health authority website that has very good numbers. And I, it was, I couldn't believe it. It was something like 90% were over 70 years old. Um, an astonishing number of people. It was 80 some odd percent. There, were, there was 70 and over for the deaths in Sweden. And, you know, it, the, the, at this point... You know, what are we doing? What are we pretending that we're running from here? Because I go from one thing in the city that everybody's masked up inside, taking sips of their drinks and putting their mask back up. And then I go to an event like I did the other night and there's, you know, fucking 10,000 people packed into a place and like one person's wearing a mask. And there's no even distribution of, um, you know, risk here. I mean, it's just people are just acting bizarre at this point. And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm kind of tired of it, you know, and I think everyone's kind of tired of it. In this, I I just want it to go away, you know, and it's 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 about to, and I I think there's a lot of people who don't want it to. I I just have that hunch. Yeah. There's no way of quantifying yeah. it, but I just think that a lot of people. I'm about don't to go to Cal. I'm going to go to California for a week, uh, beginning yeah. on Monday. I'm not I'm not seeing you, Camille. Um, no, I heard but, I heard about that. I heard the whole thing at my at my fancy shindig. Uh, and uh, and my God, um. I'm I'm actually kind of clenched about it because the not my family thank God but like my uh, my homeboys and and my pals in California they've kind of uh, adapted to the prevailing thing there. You, you and, know you need your physical vax card like an image of it on your phone is not good enough to get into establishments anymore. You need to carry it with you at all times. They want to see your papers. It's literally true. I was just talking to a buddy in L.A. I'm, yeah, uh, I mean, it happened to me when I was in LA the other, uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm going to be a bit stabby there. Yeah, I don't. This, I don't see this how is not. this is. It's funny because I can remember when the vaccine mandates and stuff were being talked about, and I'm you know I'm being pragmatic. I, I am a thoughtful libertarian. I can tolerate certain kinds of things. I will get more upset about one encroachment than another, but there've always been civil libertarians warning against. What happens when a regime like this comes into play and they're they're big, all these mandates began these various policies requiring masking, requiring vaccines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, well, oh, it's, it's a health necessity. It's a public health emergency. We have to do these things. We are we are already well beyond the realm of scientifically necessary. 
like medically efficacious. We we passed that threshold many moons ago, and we are in the universe of completely performative prophylactics that actually have no beneficial effects for most people. Transitioning from, you know, is it perfect when we ask people to show us an image of their vaccine card to, no, 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 fuck you, show me the paper vaccine card. Like it's, it's an inconvenience and it's just about compliance. And there is a very real question. How long will you push this and what else will be included in this? If it's not actually about medical necessity, if it's not actually about keeping people safe and healthy and, and protecting the hospitals from being overcrowded because it is fucking not, then what are we doing and what are the limits that are placed on this and what are you conditioned to accept? It is, it's not conspiratorial thinking to ask questions about stuff like that. We, li we literally live in that world today, being, being here on the West Coast and regularly encountering these circumstances, um, having members of my, of my family, people I know very well who, because they've had COVID and have had one of the vaccines, are, based on the research, as well protected as anyone else who's had the two and still because of the idiotic regulations that exist cannot eat indoors today and it has nothing to do with safety it has nothing to do with concern for for their well-being or the well-being of their community more broadly i'm sure that there are people in in the medical community who are doing these studies all the time and comparing these numbers but in the popular press, you don't see a lot of people. You saw that Charles Blow tweet the other day. Explain to My me why there's God. amazing, amazing. If you, there's no point the in me explaining. Designer and chief medical correspondent. Yeah, the graphic for designer the, for yeah. the New York Times <laughs> have to say about this issue. Yeah. <laughs> he was <laughs> shocked that the current numbers of COVID. I don't know if it was infections or hospitalizations or deaths, but like, wow, how is it that the South, who's terrible, um, <laughs> aren't suffering anymore, and like it's all concentrating in the North? Like almost like on a geographical seasonal way. Yeah, weirdly, <laughs> yeah, this seasonal thing is, you know, motherfucker. And you know, it, is anyone comparing, you know, the spread and deaths and everything, like you know, on a daily basis, in Sweden, for instance, where people are not masking up, according to Joanna, who just came back, she said, "Oh, it's so nice to not wear a mask everywhere all the time." I mean, she wasn't, she was in Stockholm a bit, and then in Malmo and some big cities, but she was also in the country too. But you know, no one is making these comparisons anymore. I mean, we used to be looking at the countries and the outbreaks all the time. And I remember that website, you know, that World Stats website that I was constantly running the numbers in all these different countries and because all the different um, approaches to it. And at this point, it, it, is there, I mean, I don't know this, I, I truly don't, is that if there is a country where the approach was the right one, right? I mean, you sent this uh, Camille the other day of the, the outbreak in um, in uh, New Zealand, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, New Zealand yeah, the, was been held up as the as the. And I don't yes. know anything about this, so don't send me angry emails. Saying, the uh, the islands in general, and I try to get it into this with uh, Josh Zips when we had him on. Um, this is also true in our own country. Hawaii had the best record by far of any state, um, and it was also the most locked down of any mm -hmm. state. And then a couple of months ago despite having the highest vaccination, the biggest lockdowns, and previously the lowest numbers, they got hammered, absolutely mm -hmm. hammered with COVID. Um, islands are weird. They're just weird categories. I mean, remember places. what happened this time last year? I mean, we're going to see that again. And if we see that again, I mean, remember we had this last year, we had this big uptick around this time and around Christmas. Here. 
Yeah. Yeah. Here in New York. Um, and I think a lot of other places too, it was like the big uptick time. Um, you know, as you're pointing out this seasonal stuff, are we going to, you know, hyperventilate and freak out again? And, yes. you know, cause I assume we will, um, and but, at a, at a, I'm I'm so preemptively filled with rage. I I I'm <laughs> no because for fuck's sake I'm vaccinated. I got a booster shot. Everybody in my family as of tomorrow will be vaccinated. None of us are going to die from this. We're not going to get long covid. It's not a thing. So what are we doing? Why is everybody masked up and crazy and and losing their minds? Um I think Michael's right and I don't want to agree with it not just cuz it's Michael but cuz it's it's cynical. But like people don't want to let go of this shit. That's it. They want to do have, it. Joe Sips is like fucking can't do it. You want to <laughs> maintain the illusion that there is some button that you can press called the enlightened button that this makes the is... fucking thing go away. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ! It's twenty <laughs> fucking months into this. It's yeah. time to get rid of the idea of the enlightened button. There isn't one, and if there was, your finger wouldn't be close to it, motherfucker. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up is is the good ending. Right there. Um, Just shut the fuck up. We we are going to end. I do want to take a shot at um, this this woman from the RNC who Uh-oh. also on the night of the route in Virginia on Tuesday was tweeting about how important Donald Trump was to the Republican Party, um, which considering Donald Trump never took a visit to Virginia, he, he was not wanted. He lost. He wanted the state. to. He lost the he, state by. More than 10 points, actually. Um, And he held a virtual rally for the Republican candidate for for governor of Virginia that the govern that the Republican candidate for the governorship of Virginia didn't even bother attending (laughs) on the day, either the day before or the day of. I think it was the day before the election. Like he had no affirmative impact on that race in the sense that he was actually there doing stuff to help get anyone elected. And people in the RNC are still promoting this as if it's some victory for the president, for the former president of the United States. He himself is insisting that absent the power of MAGA, this great (laughs) victory could not have been won. It is totally divorced Uh, from reality. And And Republicans, Republicans apparently hate winning and are insisting on extracting the wrong lessons from this. It's amazing, by the way, they stole the election in Virginia and then forgot how to steal it a couple (laughs) months later. (laughs) Skill sets, they come and go. (laughs) Oh, Venezuelan voting machines must have left them at home. That aspect is going to be with us for a while, Camille, because uh, the Trumpists were installed at almost every single state our uh, Republican uh, committee. Um, And this is true before. And so even if he does nothing and just like pretends he's going to run and never runs, there's going to be Rona McDaniels everywhere. They're going to hive off the Romney off their name, pretend that never existed. And they're going to like pretend that it's all uh, MAGA and Trump that explains anything good that happens to them. Even though in the case of Virginia, I believe that the, the exit polls, they asked about Trump. And he was still 11 points underwater (laughs) (laughs) as young kid was winning. Should tell you something, maybe. That's crazy. The only only thing you need to know about Donald Trump now, and this is, I think, probably the appropriate uh, place to end, is that video of Melania at the World Series. Oh, yes. Oh, Oh, yes. That's so great. That's so great. is looking 
contemptuous. Yes. Angry, disgusted, and she wants to go home. She, she's, it's time for her to go back to Moldova or wherever the fuck she lives. Or right yeah. after the fake smile. Like yes. he's doing the tomahawk job. Like the da, fake smile. La, la, it's, la. It's, it's deliberate. I mean, yeah. yes, that is she exactly right. The fake yeah. smile, she's not even. I mean, she's a, she she's a professional. Act. She knows she that knows there's still doing. cameras trained on her. She wants you to see the transition from she wore that jacket fake for fucking a smile. Fake fucking yeah. smile to yeah. outright disgust. Outright at the whole disgust. Thing. It was she amazing. Hates you people. She, and that oh is because God. she is a woman of taste and distinction. Yes. And that is my first lady, and I will yes. not let you take her away from me. And I still think oh, she should run for president. I think, that's, I think that's what's coming. Leave the game with the chopping. <laughs> time to go home, Donald. Bedtime for me. Yes. Bedtime for me. <laughs> oh, Melania Barron, 2024. I love you, Melania. Change the laws. All right. I think we've done Bye. enough here. Bye. Bye. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse.